والسلام على رسول الكريم وعلى اله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنتي لا يوم الدين او بريزيت والله ان الله فيس بلسنج بين الله الرحمن محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day as the brother said the topic of this evening's presentation is that of Islam and science and this topic is of particular relevance to us when we consider historically the relationship between science and religion science is generally presented as being a system which deals with facts realities whereas religion is presented as a system dealing with ideas and faith in these ideas however if we were to look at science in depth to really understand what science is and we are to look at religion as understood in Islam we will actually conclude that there is no contradiction or no or there are no discrepancies between Islam and science this is basically what i will try to develop and present to you this evening now the word science itself comes from a latin word scientia which means knowledge and science has been defined as the sum of human knowledge of the universe it is claimed that it deals with facts and with the relations between these facts furthermore scientists according to those who define science in this fashion are guided by general by a general philosophy there are certain assumptions which underlie all scientific investigation one that natural phenomena can be understood by asking the right questions and by doing appropriate experiments two there is in general a link between cause and effect three nature is consistent in time and space and experiments repeated under identical conditions should give the same results and the people who gave this definition this is from encyclopedia stated at the end of that without these assumptions science would find it impossible to discover patterns and predict outcomes so what we have here when we look at this definition of science though it says it's dealing with facts and the relations between these facts 
we see that there is a philosophy behind it. It is not something which is just uh, tangible that you can touch, put your finger on every single part of it. No, there is a philosophy, there is a concept, an idea which is behind it. Among those uh, ideas is that natural phenomena can be understood by asking the right questions. In other words, it is possible for the human beings to understand everything. This is what it's implying. It is possible. There is nothing in this world which the human mind cannot understand, which is from what they call natural phenomena. Your brain, how it works, your cells, how they work, the rain, why it falls, etc. We, in Islam, believe that there are laws behind all these things. However, we don't believe that we can understand everything. There will be limits to our ability to understand. However, science, as it is understood today, is based on the premise that it is possible to understand everything. Everything of natural phenomena. Everything connected with nature. How the universe was created. This is what they're asking now, right? The Big Bang, they're tra you know, tracking different aspects of the, the stars and the dust between the stars, etc., trying to find this and... Well, they tell you very clearly what they're looking for. The beginning of the universe. They feel if they ask the right questions, conduct the right experiments, they will eventually be able to discover how the universe came into being. And they're spending some billions of dollars to build a machine. It's got a big long name, some cyclo something or the other, you know, which, which runs for like miles in a circumference where they will accelerate certain particles which make up uh, matter and cause them to collide to try to reproduce. In the experiments, as they said, they believe everything is consistent, but if you are able to do something experimentally now, you can assume that that is what happened in the first place. So they're going to collide these particles to try to find out what is in the essence of matter. I mean, what is matter made of? See, they do not believe that there are any limits, any limits to man's understanding. And towards that end, they will spend, and they're prepared to spend, you know, billions of dollars to discover these uh, supposed uh, realities, while many people around the earth are starving. This is something very, very important. No, maybe some kind of paper or something can be put there so that the door doesn't keep banging this time. 
priority is given to them. Science has taken on a certain uh, position in the minds of what we now, what we could call Western civilization, has taken on certain, a certain position where it becomes more important than human life. Huge amounts of money will be spent to, to research, to find these, you know, very philosophical, very fine points while people are starving, while people are living in the streets, in the same technological societies which have, you know, at their uh, hands huge amounts of wealth. They will have the extremely poor there who will live and die in the streets and yet at the same time they will spend these monies on such experiments because there's a philosophy here See, for people to do that it must be this is very important there's something very very important to them the idea of the origin of things because the position of God within the system you know has been sort of shifted to the side now man has to have an explanation why people believe in God belief in God has to do with you know an understanding of one's position on this earth why you're here and it gives you some kind of guidance and direction so now if you have put that aspect aside revelation and what revelation brought now you have to fill that gap. You have to substitute something else for it. And this is what so-called modern science is bent on doing. To be able to explain the beginning of things, why we're here, where we're headed. All these questions, we're seeking to understand these philosophical questions. And when you look into the history of science, and according to Western philosophy, science began with the Greeks. The Greeks were in contact with Egyptians and Babylonians and uh, brought together what experimental facts they had gathered and explained in a particular way and they developed what we, or what Western society has referred to as being the beginnings of science. However, if you look at the goal of philosophy in the first period, which is known as the pre-Socratic period, that is between the 7th and the 5th century BC, in Greek, the history of Greek philosophy, if you look at the, their goal in that first period, we see that it was to discover the basic elements of the universe. See the circle? This was philosophy then. This was the beginning of Greek philosophy. Their goal was to discover the basic elements of the universe. Modern science today as we just talked about. Their goal is to find out those elements of the universe. Smashing the atoms, etc. To try to find out what is everything built up. Then it was called philosophy. So we can see actually that 
the understanding of philosophy and science is something which is very, you know, very shady. When you actually go, you know, if you take, leave the, the general presentations given in the science books, you know, for students, if you leave that general explanation, like as I gave you initially of what science was, then you go into the, the in-depth studies, like the philosophy of science, etc., and you see what these people say, you start to find that science is something which is, it is virtually philosophy. It is something which is half philosophy, half fact. It is not so clear, it's not so clear-cut that you can say it's just dealing with facts. In fact, what you find is that in that period, that early period, there was no distinction made between science and philosophy. Later, science came to be regarded as a component of philosophy. This is like during the period of Plato, Aristotle, etc. And finally, it became referred to as a set of disciplines which were separate from philosophy. So it went through different stages. However, in the early stage when it was in fact philosophy, that's how the people looked at it, as philosophy, for what it was. However, as a justification for uh, man's existence in a way which would be, which would build confidence in people, it is presented as being factual today dealing with the facts. So you can be sure about it because it's something which is tangible. However, we said when we really look into what they're doing, we see that really there's philosophy involved here. In any case, what we found during the time of Plato, which was around the um, 4th century BC, and he was a student of Socrates. He held at that time that it was more noble and dignified to seek answers by reasoning than by experiment. What this means? It means that he felt that the human mind, through reflection, this is science the period of science now. Through reflection on nature, etc., will be able to understand the workings of nature. And it was better to understand it through that way than to go and do simple experiments. So what you found is that they concluded in that period that if you drop a heavy ball and a light ball the heavy ball will hit the ground before the light ball because it was heavier than the light ball. <laughs> That's reasoning. And nobody ever tried it. From that time, in the 4th century BC, all the way until the Middle Ages, wasn't until you know the beginning of what's known as the Renaissance, the 15th century CE, after the time of Christ, this is when this experiment was actually challenged. An experiment was actually done and it was shown that in fact if you drop 
a heavy ball and a light ball, both of them will hit the ground at the same time. So we see the, the essence, the, the, the basis of, of Western science being there in philosophy. And these ideas were adapted or adopted by the Roman Catholic Church. And they used it to form or to support uh, their worldview. And what happened is that as scientists uh, increased their knowledge, they found that some of these earlier views were no longer uh, actually factual, but they were based on these reasons and they were not based on experiments, and they started to challenge these. The church, which had accepted these as being truth, now felt itself challenged. So they set up what is known as Inquisition Court, wherein people who proposed any ideas, scientific ideas which contradicted those ones which had been accepted by the church, which were the Platonian, Aristotelian ideas, anyone who proposed any ideas which contradicted these were considered to be a heretic. And you had for example, Copernicus, this is all the way now into the 15th century, who finished a sun-centered theory, in other words, actually from Plato's time, they held that the earth was the center of the universe. Everything was moving around the earth. So Copernicus, in the uh, 15th, 16th century, proposed the idea that the sun was the center of the universe. But he, he wrote a paper on this, a book, in 1529, but he didn't publish it until 1543, just before he died, for fear that the church would take him to task, you know, and create a lot of problems for him. One of his, or well, the people who were living in his period of time, uh, actually was killed a little later, but was born in his same period. His name was uh, Giordano Bruno. He was executed for heresy in, the 16, in 1600 because he stated that the universe was infinite and the earth only a small body. He was executed. And Galileo, who is sort of looked at as being the father of modern astronomy, he himself supported the Copernican theory and was taken before Inquisition courts after, and, and at, during these courts, the uh, trial, the Copernican theory was declared to be heretical and Galileo was told to stop preaching it. Don't support it anymore. However, Galileo, you know, some years later, went ahead, about 20, 28 years later, went ahead and published a work on it anyway. At that time, he was again called up. He was tried and convicted of teaching false doctrines. Even though he had, you know, developed this telescope, actually it was developed in Holland, and he took the telescope and, you know, um, 
increased the power of the telescope, was able to look at the, the moon and, and the sun and so on and so on. And he had done experiments to show and to support the Copernican theory. However, these were rejected and he was convicted of teaching false doctrines and compelled to renounce the Copernican theory publicly and he was imprisoned, which was later, you know, uh, changed to just house arrest. But he spent the rest of his days under house arrest. This is what happened to the scientists of Europe. As they developed uh, their scientific theories, which were based on more and more on experiments, and what this led to, because there was a revolt amongst scientists as well as a revolt developing in this period of time amongst church people. We had, this was a period when Martin Luther also came to Rome and found the Pope looking like a king. You know, he had a crown which was so heavy, he couldn't put it on his head. They had these wires from the ceiling which would hold the crown above his head. You know, he had robes of gold and, you know, Martin Luther, he came there seeking spiritual inspiration. And he came across the Pope, he was shocked. He went back and, you know, wrote some papers against uh, the, the Roman Catholic uh, system. And he began what is known as the Protestant movement. So they protested against the, the uh, excesses which the Roman, Roman Catholicism had developed. They tra tried to go back to pure... Uh, the pure teachings or the early teachings of Christianity. So they were involved in rebelling on a religious level, and at the same time the scientists were rebelling, you know, on a, you could say, philosophical level. What happened with this is that the scientists, many of them, or a number of them, went all the way out to actually denying the existence of God rejecting religion because religion had taken a position which had now been shown to be wrong and when you go back into the, the Old Testament you look at the description of the um, creation of the world it's totally against uh, what can be shown scientifically and logically you know talking about light before the sun was created, you know, let there be light, light before, you know, sun, water before, when it's known in the formation of, of, the, of the planets that it was in a gaseous state before it hardened, before water came, but water talked about before, you know. So you, what you find is that the, the descriptions in the Bible actually of the creation are unscientific. And the, the beliefs that were held by the, the scientists, you know, were constantly coming in, in conflict with those held by the church. So, you found people looking for some other alternative. Another way of explaining man's existence. And out of that came the Darwinian theory, which was now up into the 1900s, uh, late 1800s, 19, you know, 1900s. Uh, where an explanation of how man came about without having to resort to the idea of creation was put forth as a substitute. Man 
evolved from create. And, of course, this went to a period of struggle with the church, but eventually much of the church, Western church, is submitted. They had certain debates which took place in the United States and in England, and those who supported the positions of the church were defeated in these debates. And as such, the idea of uh, evolution became widespread. So now, when we talk about religion and science, in a Western sense, this is an expression of conflict. The church, what it represented, was opposed to what science represented. However, when we look from an Islamic perspective, because Islam recognizes the place of the human mind, reasoning, understanding what exists around him, at the same time it identifies revelation as another uh, channel for understanding what is beyond nature, to say, the supernatural. These two are not in conflict with each other because what man discovers of the factual laws of nature, these we recognize as being the laws of God. Even the term, the laws of nature, this was a term used to substitute for the laws of God. Because when you think of the laws of nature, you're thinking of something which is a blind force, nature. Something which is not, uh, something which is not a, a being that you would have to be responsible for, to, to question what does nature want from us. No, nature is a blind force. But when you say God, then you have to, there's got to be something, this is an, an, intellect, an intelligent force, therefore there is purpose, there is reason. Whereas nature, this is just accidental you know, combination of natural uh, forces or matter. So, Islam, it looks at science, what is factual as being perfectly valid and what we find historically is that after the Greeks had developed what may be called science to a certain point and the Romans became the rulers of the region the Romans were not particularly concerned with uh, science, philosophy they were more concerned with administration, rule. So, you find science was on a decline. There were a few of that time, you know, who were uh, scientists, who did produce something, but they were nothing like in comparison to the time of the Greeks. And then after the time of the Romans, with the fall of the Roman Empire, you find 
the whole of Europe falling into a state of what they call the Dark Ages. Dark Ages, the ages of ignorance, where the church now had a stranglehold on the masses of the people. Minds were crushed. Nobody could question or argue or discuss or anything like that. During this period known as the Dark Ages and the Early Middle Ages, we find this is a time when Islam came, 7th, 8th century, developed uh, centers of learning in Baghdad and in Spain. We had the Caliph al-Ma'mun. He had uh, set up what was known as Beit al-Hikmah, or the House of Wisdom, in which uh, he had a library and an observatory connected to it. People were paid to translate the Greek works, works which were also written in Syriac, in Persian, in uh, Sanskrit. They were being translated into Arabic. And this knowledge which, which was there was then uh, utilized for the development of the sciences, the various fields of medicine, geography, etc., amongst the Muslims. Scholars of that time were rounded. They were religious and at the same time they had knowledge in the various areas, the various sciences. There were some who went beyond the bounds themselves in that their concept of the religion itself was Distorted. You know, some of the big names that are normally quoted as the major you know, Muslim scientists, like you know Ibn Sina and others, these guys were in fact uh, mostly from amongst the Shiites, you know, in certain extreme branches like the Ismailis, who held uh, views which were against mainstream Islam. They did not submit to the commandments of Islam in the sense that the Ismailis, generally speaking, look at uh, existence and religion as being symbolic, you know, in interpretable, it's possible to interpret. So through their interpretations, they interpret, they interpreted away the various, uh, the various they interpreted away the various uh, commandments of Islam, uh, the various they interpreted away the various uh, commandments of Islam, as well as the responsibilities that were outlined even in the Quran itself. The Quran became just a set of symbols and life and existence also became a set of symbols. So we find amongst those who held such beliefs that they deviated from mainstream, what we know as mainstream Islam. However, in the mainstream, science was respected, the Islamic State supported the development of the sciences because this was the base of hikmah, this was paid for from the public treasury. So, the Islamic system supported science as long as it stayed within 
the bounds of uh, the material world and did not seek to enter into an, a region which was the bounds of God which has to do with the supernatural that of the supernatural what is behind what we can see touch and feel that we have to trust in revelation the sciences of revelation sciences of religion because this also because we said science means ultimately knowledge so what we have is two bodies we have a body of what we could call human knowledge and we have a body of what we could call divine knowledge that which has been revealed by God is according to the traditional definition of science also science as well as that which man has discovered through his experimentation etc and in fact you know what has been known as the um, the scientific method uh, supposedly developed by you know Roger Bacon uh, this actually what we find was a result of the contact between the British and the French with Muslim scientists in Spain and much of the ideas which they developed were already in practice there although Europe in presenting uh, Francis Bacon, Roger Bacon, etc., and their contributions to the so-called scientific method, they usually don't even mention Spain and the contributions of Spain in the books of Arabic which were translated into Latin, etc. Uh, in fact, it was the Islamic centers of learning which provided the basis for what was no later became known as the Renaissance in uh, Europe, the development in religion as well as in the sciences. Now, having said that, Islam supports science. It supports that which is fact. As to the theories of science, now, we enter into an area of philosophy and this is where the challenges can come the theory of evolution which is looked at as being a fact today is in fact a theory and what it proposes is in conflict with what Islam teaches about the origin of man and the creation in the Quran there are many references which I'm sure you're familiar with there's a book written by uh, Maurice Bokai called the Bible, Quran and Science in which he has listed many of the verses in the Quran which point to what is now known as scientific the common scientific say, theory or, or facts which are in existence now believed in now from embryology to astronomy to geology these can be found in the Quran however the Quran is not looked at as being a science book Allah has put certain references in there as signs for those who reflect that this book is not the product of Muhammad of Iman this is a book which was from God because there are things in that book 
which the Prophet Muhammad could not have understood. Some people will say, well, you know, Aristotle, Plato, they predicted certain things, uh, which turned out to be true later on. So really, you know, that's all Muhammad was a good predictor. You know, he predicted certain things which came true. However, when you actually go and look at what Plato and Aristotle were saying, true, they did predict certain things concerning nature which we have found out thousands of years later. But at the same time, both of these and other thinkers of their time also made some colossal blunders. They made some statements which were just totally out to lunch. So they had a few points which turned out to be fantastic, great, true, but they had many points which were incorrect. Whereas when we look at the Qur'an, and we look at the various points that are mentioned there, we find them consistently correct. They agree with what is known in terms of scientific fact today. Consistent. So this is not the workings of a man predicting, because the workings of a man predicting will not be 100%. You will have some right and much wrong. As a norm. True, there are some things mentioned in the Quran which, uh, say, modern science, there are theories out there, but uh, it is something which may not be provable at this point in time. You know, for example, Allah mentions that everything, from everything which He created, He created it in pairs. And, according to biologists, we have certain animals like the amoeba, which uh, just one divide into two pieces so there are no pairs you don't have a male and female amoeba as far as is known but that's the point as far as is known it doesn't mean that some time from now 10 years 20 years 50 years it may be found because it's a question of observation that in fact the amoeba also exists in pairs so what happens is that there may be some points, and there's a few, which uh, science at this point in time, you know, due to its limited uh, level of information, may question. However, the vast majority of what is in the Quran has been, is, is quite in accordance with what we know today as being scientific fact. And Allah has set these various things in the Quran, as I said, as a sign to the people in the various centuries to come because people in the time of Prophet Muhammad they were able to witness him and witness miracles which he did and witness his lifestyle the way he treated people etc and be convinced however in our time we do not have the Prophet Muhammad amongst us what we have is the Quran and the Sunnah and this now provides for us the uh, understanding or the, the conviction that in fact Muhammad was a prophet of Allah because the Quran will remain until the last day as a proof and as a way of life for mankind so that mankind is responsible will be protected by Allah as he has promised and there will be in the Quran 
not only on a historical basis, but on a on, on, on every level in man's development, signs which will show him that this Quran is definitely from Allah. However, as we have certain theories amongst the scientists like that of evolution, which though it is accepted by the general masses as being fact, the Quran and the teachings of Islam rejects it. And actually when you go and look at the position of the leading scholars today, they do admit that evolution as it was understood in the time of Darwin and following Darwin, what they call the new you know, Darwinian theories, is not in fact true. Because what Darwinism proposes is that uh, ultimately life began from chemicals which accidentally came together forming special uh, precursor molecules and from that the early cells developed and the cells you know evolved into life forms and the life forms gradually evolved into higher and more complex life forms as time went on until eventually you ended up with man, the peak of evolution. However, this theory as it is presented, when you go to look at the, the fossil record, you find that it is not supported by the fossil record. What you find there in the fossil record is that there are various uh, creatures appearing on the fossil record, very complex, with no precursors, no one before them that were less complex to evolve into these. So really what the fossil record supports is what we call special creation, that these were created by God. Sure, Islam scientifically recognizes development. We breed dogs and produce dogs capable of doing certain things. Horses, animals, we see development taking place. A, 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 a species of dog, which may not be fast running, we can breed with some other species which is, has some qualities of fast running and produce a species which is fast running. We see this. But this is development. No matter how we develop this dog, we work with him, we breed him with other animals, he doesn't become anything but a dog. You don't find him all of a sudden becoming a small horse, He's staying a dog all the time. So the, the, the process of development within species we recognize. But one species becoming another species, that we don't recognize. These rare species were created by God. On the other hand, we find some scholars who have made statements which have proven to be scientifically false. We had a major scholar 
here who held some years ago, 20 odd years ago, that the earth was flat. And he brought evidence from the Quran which seemed to imply that the earth was flat. However, this is what we call Ijtihad or a reasoned uh, conclusion made by an individual from Quranic texts or texts from the Hadith which may be right or may be wrong. We're not obliged to accept that as being a fact. If the evidence, if the factual evidence proves otherwise, then we don't have to accept it. So, one cannot hold up this individual's ruling as being an evidence that Islam is contradictory to science. Because when sufficient facts were brought to this individual, he gave up the ruling. And he now holds that the earth is round. So, we can see here, though he was a religious, he is a religious scholar of, you know, great repute, etc. The fact that he, he held this position, when he got enough evidence, he changed it. So he is not here fighting against science. I mean, he is seeking the truth to the best ability that he could. He didn't have uh, much uh, scientific background. He grew up in religious schools, etc., etc. And he drew his conclusions just based on what the evidence appeared uh, as, it, as it could possibly be interpreted in the Quran, etc. So, if we find other instances of this, and this is why also many scholars discourage us from taking the Quran as a scientific textbook and trying to find scientific theories in all the verses of the Quran, because, you know, you run into problems. You start, you find people starting to make interpretation of the verses, twisting them to try to fit some kind of theory that exists now, and ten years from now that theory may be thrown out. So we are not encouraged to do this. When certain factual pieces of information come up, if we find something in the Quran which seems to confirm that, definitely we can say, oh, it was there. But now to take the Quranic verses and just try to match it up with all the existing uh, theories, no. Man discovers something which exists. He is not creating. He is only discovering. So what he discovers which is in fact real, this is from Allah. And revelation naturally should not be in conflict with it because it is also from Allah. So, with that, we could sum up the essence of uh, this presentation in that Islam being a way of life which has been revealed by God and not a product of human philosophizing, reasoning, 
which is when we look at the other religions around the world this is what it is in fact it will naturally not contradict what is scientifically found however those other systems because of the fact that they are the product of human reason not necessarily based in fact when the facts come out we will find them in contradiction to these other religions these other systems and that's the reality when we look at Christianity is Christianity what was brought by Prophet Jesus alayhi salam of course not the early Christians they were referred to as the Judeo-Christians they continued to practice the ways the Jewish practices of ablution before prayer praying at such times of the day circumcising themselves not drinking blood not eating pork you know all these things they continue to practice and it is not really until the Roman Empire the leader Constantine adopts Christianity that that philosophical Trinitarian concept of Jesus and the evolution of the teachings into cultural practices and norms which existed in Greece and Rome blending these all together it was not until that time that this system, new system which evolved was now pushed on the rest of the world, the Christian world much of it in the east in Alexandria, Syria etc they held that God was one and that Jesus was a prophet of God who was created it's not until that period of time what is known as the 4th century that these ideas now were pushed onto the rest of uh, Christianity Trinitarian concepts became foremost and we find the whole of Christianity taking this turn based on human reasoning gathering you know uh, adaptations adding customs here and there and ideas to support from Greek philosophy etc that naturally is going to run afoul with reality that which has been found by scientists those who have, you know, gathered certain facts and, and, and showed these relationships between these facts have shown that the, much of the philosophy of Christianity is opposed to scientific facts because it is not revealed from, by Allah it is a product of man it is going to be in conflict with what is revealed by Allah the laws of nature so-called laws of nature these were and are a product of God and they will be in conflict with the minds of men what man puts together for himself whereas Islam which is a way of life and not merely a philosophy built up over a period of time based on revelation from Allah from God would naturally be consistent with what may be termed today as science 
And so we can conclude that Islam is not opposed to scientific facts, though it may oppose some of the fiction which is known as theory. At the same time, it is important for us when we look at science to understand that there is an aspect of it that is truly science and there is another aspect of it which is philosophy which is an idea seeking to explain man's existence in another way without having to deal with God and wherever this appears we have to stand our ground for example we have what is known as the uh, Einstein's theory of relativity E equals mc squared energy equals mass times the square of the speed of light translated into normal terms they're saying energy can neither be created nor destroyed or mass can neither be created nor destroyed it's just mass evolves into energy energy goes into mass it's just a back and forth and the basis of this is put the atom and everything else however we as Muslims do not accept that theory as it says because it is in contradiction to our concept of God because everything which exists which is not God was created and it will be destroyed so matter and energy were created and they will be destroyed we can say matter evolves into energy energy can evolve into matter as in relationship to man in that man cannot produce energy he cannot create matter this is something which exists which evolves back and forth man cannot but God can so whatever we have of science we have to keep it in relationship to the science that we have received of revelation wherein we understand who God is and we understand man's limitations and we have to look at science within these bounds that basically is the sum of this uh, brief presentation actually the topic you know could be gone into in much more detail unfortunately I didn't have you know, time to really get into certain other aspects of it but uh, if you'd like to ask some questions now you know concerning uh, Islam and science you are perfectly uh, welcome Life in other planets, Islam does not deny the possibility. So, I mean, if a Muslim stands up and dogmatically says, there is no life on other planets, he is speaking without authority, really. He is speaking from his assumption. He is just making certain assumptions. So we cannot deny it, ultimately. We will not say there is, either because we don't have evidence for that either I mean there are certain verses which may be interpreted 
However, this is human interpretation. And when you try to apply it to reality, it may be wrong. So this, the position that a, a thinking Muslim will take is we don't know. Allah knows. If we find light, alhamdulillah, the greatness of Allah. If we don't find any light, alhamdulillah, it's also the greatness of Allah. It is not an issue for us. Of course, modern science is bent on finding that life. Because they don't believe, believe this is an accident. So this accident will happen and it should be able to accurately happen someplace else too. So we got to find it. But for them it is, you know, it is key for supporting their own philosophy. That all this came about by accident. But for us, it's not important. We would not spend billions of dollars researching, you know, with these microscopes you know, these telescopes trying listening in on the heavens, trying to hear some, you know, alien from, you know, Alpha, Omega, you know, sending messages. So we don't spend time wasting on that stuff because it's not relevant to us here. What is relevant to us here is to utilize the resources which Allah has given us for the benefit of man. The knowledge for us is to be utilized for man's benefit. And we are utilitarian in our approach to knowledge. We don't believe in this knowledge for the sake of knowledge. We don't believe in it. Knowledge is useful in as much as it is applicable. It means something. It affects our lives. As for just knowledge, just sit and contemplate, you know, you know, meditate on. No, this is not. This Islam doesn't promote this or support this. No, it's not un-Islamic to believe that. Yes, I mean, there are verses, you know, which point in that direction that it may be interpreted in that light. But whether it is interpreted in that light or not, factually, we have some people going to the moon. Of course, you know, you have Muslims who took this thing where, you know, they interpreted the verse in another way, which didn't imply this, and as far as they're concerned, man cannot leave the planet, and, you know, what the Americans and the Russians did is just, you know, they can make movies. They make these movies, and, you know, you will swear this is real. So it could all have been just a big hoax. Yeah. There are people who have that position. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, I don't believe it's a hoax, myself, personally, because, you know, having gone through, you know, scientific studies myself, you know, my major was, you know, biochemistry in university, and, you know, I, I've done basic experiments with rockets and things like this, I mean, it is not beyond, it is not inconceivable that, you know, man could, you know, go beyond this point, so to me, it, it, it's something that, uh, the likelihood of the, the whole planet, you know, conspiring, the Russians and the Americans, to create this hoax on the rest of the world, I, I find it quite small, especially, you know, since we have had a Muslim also, you know, run up and, you know, fly around the earth also, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I would say that it is, you know, it's people who have taken 
positions which are in fact against you know, the Islamic approach which is uh, that knowledge is only in a particular area when Allah and Prophet said you know seeking knowledge is compulsory on every human you know on every Muslim that this was referring only to religious knowledge you know, that is all that we can judge or understand anything by no Allah has, when he created Adam he taught him the names of all things I mean if it were only religious knowledge that was important why teach him the names of the other things that naming process of classification classification involves understanding you know etc I mean it would not be necessary so we believe that Allah has given us the ability to to utilize as he said he created the creation for our use for man and that there is knowledge there that he can gain from understanding the function of uh, Allah's creation but as Allah says, وَمَا أُوْتِيْتُمْ مِنَ الْإِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا We've only given you a small amount of knowledge. We are not going to understand everything. And as a Muslim, we would not waste billions of dollars trying to understand the, the elements from which the universe was made. Determining the time when the Big Bang first took place. This is irrelevant to us. The wastage of human resources, time, money. So, the Islamic approach is much more human oriented, concerned with man. Whereas the Western so called scientific approach is philosophical it is concerned more with man's justification for his injustices to his fellow man ultimately because when you take God out of the picture what you have is what is known as survival of the fittest the law of the jungle 